Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's word. I think we need to take some time and talk about this idea of eschatology as found in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with eschatology. It's essentially the doctrine or the teaching of the last days or of the second coming or basically anything that happens at the end, you know, doing a study about uh, individual death and what happens to us and our soul after we die could also be considered in the realm of eschatology. But one thing that's quite interesting about the idea of eschatology or about the idea of the second coming is that it creates in human history a terminus, a moment of ending or a moment of re- creation or resetting or restarting the history of humanity and God's interaction with it. So if you consider the whole sweep of history as presented in the Bible, then what you have is God creating everything in Genesis 1, God putting on this earth humans to be stewards of the earth in Genesis 2, you have the rejection of God in Genesis 3. So humans decide that they want to get their information and their knowledge from a source not from God. And so that source ultimately is the devil, but he provokes them to look for it within themselves. And so over and over and over again in the scriptures, God condemns uh, the, the, the man or the woman who out of their own dreams, out of their own lust, out of their own imaginations are, are guiding their day-to-day decisions in their life. And it inevitably leads people astray. And so we have the entrance of sin from Genesis 3. And then you have an attempt by humanity to unite itself and to pursue uh, a position where they are seeking the heavens or an ultimate reality or something like that. And this is all Tower of Babel stuff. And so they're doing this on their own strength, with their own wisdom, with their own technology. Even it says they they had a kind of, I mean, we would call a rudimentary technology, bricks uh, and mortar is what it actually was. But they're building in their day and age the greatest technological uh, construction ever done, which is this tower that they want to have go up into heaven. And so God comes down and says, no, you cannot reach me by your own strength. I'm now going to judge you by confusing everything. And so God instilled into humanity thousands of languages, or according to Jewish tradition based on Genesis chapter 10, 70 languages that have since multiplied out into the ones we have today with all the different dialects and things. Um, but anyway, a lot of different languages. And so these languages, even archaeologically uh, and anthropologically in the record of history, spontaneously appeared out of sort of nowhere, all these multiple languages, and have then developed onwards. 
from there, which to what we have today. But this confusion was a judgment of God. These languages were meant to spread people around the world and create a disunity. Uh, and then over time, eventually we have various prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Jesus came. Jesus fulfilled a number of prophecies. He died. He resurrected. He now provided a means of salvation internally in the, in the heart and in the soul. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God resides within you. Jump ahead now a couple thousand years with the spread of the church around the world and, um, with, and, and now where we sit today. It's everybody knows where we sit today. We're in a position where we are two millennia down the road from when all of these New Testament statements were written and these prophecies that have talked about the second coming of Jesus. And so uh, it's getting to a point where there needs to be sort of a consummation. There needs to be a reconciliation of all of these these writings and the events that have happened in the past and to look now at what is the future of mankind. So we've currently, as in this recording going on, there's a war going on between Russia and the Ukraine that's causing a lot of turmoil. We are two and a half, well, over two years into the coronavirus, which has caused a lot of fear and anxiety around the world. There's a lot of people talking about the, the instability or instability of the world's economy. These kind of things are all paramount in people's minds. And so there's a lot of trepidation and a lot of fear and a lot of confusion and a lot of not sure what's going on right now. All of these things are, are sort of setting the stage, you could say, for uh, the events that the Bible describes from an eschatological perspective. I'm not going to go into any of those details right now. We can look later at Matthew 24, the book of Revelation, things like that. Right now, I just want to talk about this idea of hastening the coming of the Lord. So what do we mean about hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? In 2 Peter 3, you can read there that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Let's read these verses. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it will be burned up. Seeing that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in all holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. So Peter here is talking about the second coming, about the kinds of things that will happen before Jesus returns. The first thing that he says is that there will be scoffers who will be motivated by their own lusts, by their flesh. And in that motivation, they will mock what the scripture says. He actually says here, where's the promise of his coming? So there's this sort of sarcastic sense of people saying, ah, pff, the Bible's a bunch of fairy tales. So that's one thing that is going to be happening today. But he says here that they are willingly ignorant of what the scripture actually says. People just dismiss God's word out of hand because, oh, that's religion or that's the church. Oh, that's just some ancient letters that have no relevance or bearing on us today. Those things can be safely ignored. 
So this is not a, a, a good position to be in because they are choosing to be willfully ignorant of what the scriptures actually say. God is above all. The Lord Jesus has um, all authority on heaven and earth. And so these are things that should be paid attention to because the Bible speaks about international affairs and world events and the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. These are things that are explained in the scriptures, and we need to understand these things because the Lord Jesus can see everything from beginning to end. He is Alpha and Omega. So if we don't start with him, we're not going to finish with him. (laughs) Put it that way. So the heavens and the earth are going to be uh, okay, so then what Peter says is he refers back to the, 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 a time of old where the earth was standing out of the water and in the water, thereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. So he's referring back to Noah's flood. Jesus himself refers back to the time of the, the flood in Noah's day and the things that were happening then. And we could talk about that more in Matthew 24. But it's a picture, it's a prequel to what is going to take place in the second coming. So Peter talks about the earth being destroyed then by water, but now it's reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So God made a promise that the rainbow represents every time you see a rainbow that he will not destroy the earth again by water, but the earth will be reworked and recreated again through fire at the second coming. And so this sort of contrast between water and fire, you sort of see John the Baptist talks about this contrast between water and fire as well. And so in the New Testament and in the biblical idea of eschatology, it is like a, imagine it like a clock. Uh, it's circles, it's wheels going around. It's, it's a spinning um, repetition of events, but it's like a clock in that the second hand goes around fast, the minute hand goes around a little slower, and the hour hand goes around the slowest. And so there's times where these hands meet each other, but there's one time in the cycle that they all meet at once and that is at the top where you hit the 12 and there's every every 12 hours they all meet at one time so the bible's description of end times events is that there are little moments let's say the second hand there are little moments here and there that point to the 12 o'clock moments of eschatology pictures, moments of, that's a bit like what's going to happen at the end times. Then there's times where the hour hand, sorry, the minute hand and the second hand both meet at 12 o'clock. And it may be a a bit more of a picture of the Antichrist or a bit more of the picture of um, the church triumphing in times of persecution or a bit more of uh, some despot wanting to have control over people through economic means or something like that. And then there's the moment where all three of them hit at the same time. And at that moment, you have the big event. It's midnight. It's a change of season. It's a change of day. It's a change of calendar. And so think about that on a grand and global scale. This is what is happening. This is why people who have been trying to predict the Antichrist 
had kind of got it wrong with the Pope or got it wrong with uh, uh, some president in the past or some world leader like Napoleon or something like that. They got it wrong because some of the elements were there, but not all of the elements were there. Sure, the second hand was pointing to 12, but that doesn't make it midnight. You have to have the second hand and the hour hand and the minute hand all pointing to the same thing to have midnight and it has to be that right moment it has to be dark outside you know that kind of thing it can't be daylight like at noon it has to be dark like at night so does that make sense you have to have this all the things come together and so this is why it is so important that when we're reading the bible we have to diligently look at all the details and then look around us and say okay is it all sort of coming together Martin Luther, when he was putting together the Bible in German, really didn't like the book of Revelation because it really made no sense to him. It wasn't for his time, you could say, because that time, the details of the book of Revelation fit much more with the days in which we live now, not in 1512, whatever he, you know, 1516 or something like that, whenever he did the whole, that whole business in the early part of the Reformation, that started the Reformation. So that's a bit of a brief picture of uh, what eschatology looks like in the Bible as far as the patterns and the repetition of it goes and how we should be viewing it. So then we look back at this scripture here. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. So in Noah's flood, God had Noah that uh, the New Testament says was a preacher of righteousness. He presented the ark that he was building as a means of salvation away from the wickedness of the day that was happening. But people weren't listening to him. And so God had a flood come to cleanse the whole of the world in order for him to start again with a new righteous family, which all quickly fell apart, obviously, because we're human, we're not God. Jesus had to come as the as God in the flesh in order for a proper restart of the heart to take place. So that did happen later. But the picture is still there in that there was judgment. There were those who stood against that judgment. There was action taken to save people from the judgment. The judgment came and then the earth moved on in a new and a different and a, a recreated way. So this is what's going to happen again. The heavens and the earth, which are now by the word of God are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So it's all going to happen again with loads of believers who are going to be like little Noah's running around offering comfort, which is what the name Noah means, running around offering comfort to people in times of stress and distress and um, uh, uh, turmoil and all these things. But people, some people are going to listen and some people aren't. And so just like the ark uh, that Noah built was a giant boat with one door and it was a means of entering in in order to secure salvation from the judgment, Jesus is the one who we enter into. We, be, we go in Christ. He is the one door, as it says in John's gospel, that we can go into to be saved from the destruction that is to come, to get salvation. These are all the, the things in the past are pictures of the ultimate thing in the future. But, beloved, do not be ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So God's timing is in his hand, and the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but he doesn't want anyone to perish, it says in verse 9. 
he would desire that all come to repentance. So this is the will of God, that all would come to repentance, but we love to fight against God's will. Humans do not want to submit to the will of God in their own flesh. It says in Romans 8 that the flesh cannot please God. And so we're stuck with this constant internal battle of fighting against the will of God. Our job is to overcome and be submissive to God's will. But here it then says that we are to look forward, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of Lord. So active present verbs here, we are to be looking forward to the coming of the day of the Lord, just like you look forward to a baby being born. I don't know if you're married or if you've ever had any kids. I have four kids. And you look forward to that day that the baby will be born. It is a joyous thing. But for the mother, she has to go through this period of labor pains. Now, the idea of labor pains comes up over and over again in the Bible. Multiple times it talks about a woman in labor as a picture of the coming of some big event from God. And so, what are labor pains? They're consistent, repetitious, but slowly increasing strains on the woman's body in order for the joyous baby to be born. So this is again like the clock. It is a cycle. It is a repetition, but it gets more and more intense or more and more climactic toward the end. Yeah. So labor pains are exactly the same way. And so he says here that we are looking forward to and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Looking forward to, it's a it's something we we tend to get a bit in trepidation because we think of all the negative things from the book of Revelation that are going to happen. But really, it's a joyous thing just as a woman who goes through labor, and my wife did exactly this, the instant our first child was born, she said, oh, I could do that again. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's sort of temporary pain for long-term gain is what it comes down to. And so these things are not things that we should be fearful of. There's things that we should recognize is necessary in order for the Lord Jesus to return. He's the baby who's coming. He is the thing that we are really after. The labor pains are just part of the process. And so I don't want to diminish any of the 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 bad things that are going to happen. We can talk about those things, but uh, the goal is the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming to the earth. It says, looking forward to and hastening the coming of of the day of God, the coming of the one who will bring peace, the coming of the one who will bring righteousness. So this coming, this hastening, how are we supposed to hasten the coming of the day of the Lord? That seems really strange. But Peter actually says what we should do. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, seeing that you look, whoop, I'm going to skip the page, that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in of him in peace without spot and blameless. So he tells us what we should be doing. We should be diligently entering into him for peace regarding all this time of tribulation that's to come, but looking forward to Jesus himself returning without spot, which means we need to keep ourselves clean, from the influence of the world in thought and in action, and to be blameless, which means that there should be nothing that when Jesus 
you know, like Lot's wife. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. As they were fleeing the city, she turned around and looked. They were told not to look back, but she looked back at Sodom or Gomorrah, whichever one they were living in at the, at the time, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. She was, she was not blameless. Lot and his daughters got out without looking back, so they were considered blameless. But Lot's wife turned around and she suffered for it. Something in her longed for what was she was leaving behind. But we can't be like that. We have to look forward. We have to look ahead. So hastening the day of the Lord uh, is about walking in righteousness and holiness looking at all the things in the New Testament that we are to be emulating, that we are to have Jesus reflecting out of us toward the, to the world, and then seeing how am I seeking to save sheep, <laughs> metaphorically? How am I seeking to point people? Paul says that it, that it is Jesus Christ whom we preach, whom we teach, whom we warn. Every man is what he says at the end of Colossians chapter 1. So these are the things that we need to be mindful of. Please go and read 2 Peter chapter 3. Read the whole of 2 Peter because the whole of 2 Peter is warning us against the deception of the age in which we live. But read the whole thing and pray and say to the Lord, what is it that you would like me to do? How should I be living now knowing that there is a definitive end coming and I do not want to be found blame worthy of blame? I want to be blameless, not blameworthy. So God bless you. Be, uh, be in Christ. Be seeking his face through the scriptures. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.